Well, good morning. Good to see you. Welcome home. We are glad you're here this morning. I want to just begin today with just some thank yous and to celebrate uh, some things real quickly this morning. Uh, First of all, I wanted to say a big thank you uh, to all those that were a part of the tailgate uh, treat uh, that we had this last week. It's kind of a big outreach that this church has been doing for many, many years. And there's two numbers. Our church doesn't focus on numbers, but at the same time, numbers kind of tell a story. There's two numbers I want to celebrate today, 37 and 1,000. Okay, I'm actually excited about the number 37 more. And here's the number. We had 37 cars full of volunteers who helped pass pass out candy, which is the most that we've ever had. So we want to say a big thank you. Give yourselves a hand. Thank you for that. And then also uh, a thousand, which is we we can't really count past a thousand evidently. So we don't know exactly how many are here. We're here that day, but we believe there's well over a thousand people that came through um, and were touched through you and through um, just handing out candy. And so we've had some neat stories and starting point over the years of people where their entry point to our church was the tailgate treats. So thank you. Let's give God a hand for that. That's a big deal. That's a win. That's the most that's the most we've had. So we want to say thank you for that. And then our the pastors and staff wanted to say a big Thank you today without getting really emotional. Um, I brag all the time to people in the community and other pastors about how generous you all are. And and there's no part of that that uh, I mean flippantly. You are generous. And so we wanted to say thank you for the cards and the gifts and just the words of encouragement. So give yourselves a hand. Thank you for making us feel loved. We appreciate that. And this morning we're glad you're here. We are wrapping up our series on the Ten Commandments. We have named it uh, Written in Stone, and we've been talking about how Israel was trying to negotiate negotiate non-negotiables. And so as a result of that, God said, look, there's certain things that aren't negotiable, okay? In your house, you have certain things that are not negotiable. Your children are going to go to sleep at some point, right? They are going to be fed. There's certain non-negotiables. And God said, hey, there's ten important things that if you're going to be my people, they're not negotiable. And yet you guys are making them negotiable. So Moses, come on up the mountain with me and we're going to, we're going to get this together. And so that's what we've been talking about. Each week we've been looking at different uh, laws and guidelines that he had for Israel. And then uh, conversely looking at that with Jesus. Because Jesus would have something to say about each one of those commandments. So that's what we've been doing. We're going to take just a couple of minutes and recap that for those of us who've been gone or been, uh, maybe haven't been here before. First of all, he says the first commandment right out of the gate. The first thing that he chisels in stone. Moses is standing there like, whoa. He's like got a lightning bolt or something chiseling in stone. And here's what he says. You must not have any other God but me. Evidently, the Israelites were putting a lot of things ahead of God. God was sick of it. So right out of the gate, he says, hey, don't put anything ahead of me. When Jesus comes um, into the scene in the New Testament, he kind of edifies what God says with his words in Matthew. He says, you must worship the Lord, your God, and serve, let's finish it, only him. He kind of adds weight. It's kind of like dad says this and mom says what your dad said, right? So then he writes in stone a second commandment. Moses is standing there watching this take place. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind. 
Jesus in the New Testament as he's talking about money remembers that second commandment. And he says, no servant can serve two masters. You can't serve God. You can't serve money. You can't serve God and some other kind of object or person. You can't do it. Don't make an idol. So Jesus, again, goes along with that. And then the third commandment is chiseled on the mountain. And God says, look, I've been hearing you guys. You're not using my name with the proper weight. You're misusing it. So don't misuse the name of the Lord your God. Jesus comes at it from another angle. He says, not only should you not misuse God's name, which is swearing, right? Don't swear at all. And he goes on to say, by heaven or by earth, just don't use your mouth for cursing or talking poorly about me or other people. And then God chisels the fourth commandment. Remember, sometimes you need a break. God didn't need a break, but he rested to model because he knew we needed one. He says, your best is when you get rest. And that, you heard me say that a lot that, that uh, week that we talked about that. And Jesus said, look, the Pharisees keep trying to focus on whether you're working on Sunday. Here's what it's really about. I made the Sabbath for you guys to use it, so use it. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even in the Sabbath. God chisels in the fifth commandment. Honor your father and mother. It's a good commandment. Jesus started realizing in the New Testament that people were not just honoring their father and mother. They were putting their father and mother ahead of him. That's idolatry. So Jesus says, look, anyone who loves his father and mother more than me, let's finish it, is not Yeah, so he's going back and edifying God's first commandment in the Old Testament. You can love your father and mother. You're supposed to. You should. But when they are more important than me, that's an idol. He chisels in that sixth commandment. Moses is still sitting sitting there like, how is he doing this? He says, you must not murder. We talked about that week. You know, the 32nd floor of the Mandalay building and hotel and uh, the casino. And we see where this guy just starts shooting into the uh, country arena. And Jesus not only addresses that, but then he says, what leads up to that? You know what leads up to that? Being angry. Being angry is the road to not just murder. Most people aren't going to commit murder. Some will. But hatred. So here's what Jesus said. Not only should you not murder, but Anyone who's angry with his brother to the point of hatred when you study the rest of that, you're subject to judgment. Because you can't love me and hate people. And we talked about that. You can go back and listen to that if you want. The seventh commandment, he chisels. He says, don't commit adultery. Don't sleep with someone you're not married to. Jesus says, I tell you what. Not only should you not sleep with people you're married to, but here's where it starts. When you start looking lustfully at people, that's where, the, that's where it starts. Anyone who looks at a woman lustfully, you've already committed adultery in your heart. Whether you committed the act or you lusted in your heart, it's both adultery in my eyes. So we talked about, we talked about that. Then he chisels the eighth commandment. Adam preached on it. Don't steal. Don't take stuff from people that's not yours. And Jesus says, I'm going I'm to come at it from a different angle. If someone tries to take your stuff, let them have it and give them more stuff. Someone tries to take your tunic, throw in your cloak. And then the ninth commandment, which was last week, he chisels it. 
He says, don't testify falsely about your neighbor. We transpose that to say don't lie, but it's a little bit bigger than that. Don't lie, but especially don't lie about someone's character. And Jesus said, and by the way, if you're talking negatively about people, you know, you're just talking carelessly, you're going to be judged for that. Men will give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word that you've spoken. Jesus kind of just rackets it up. Each time God would have a commandment in the New Testament, he would add to it. He would talk about a different problem that was created that that law didn't exactly completely cover. And today we're wrapping up the series with the 10th commandment. There's a lot here, and so we're going to try to fly through it today. But it's one that's real easy for us to commit. It's also real easy for us to justify why we do it. And here's what he said. Evidently, because every time there's a law, there's, somebody's breaking it. That's why they create the law. The reason there's a speed limit sign that says 35 is because at some point people were driving too fast, so they lowered the speed limit. Jesus or God says this. Don't desire other people's property. And here's how he worded it. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's spouse. And don't covet your neighbor's stuff. That's what's on the screen. I just paraphrased it. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's spouse. And don't covet your neighbor's stuff. And when you think about this word covet, I want to spend just a little bit of time talking about this today and, and kind of unpack this for just a minute Coveting, when you study the word covet, it means to, and it's, it, they use a, a strong word that you would use as it relates to sexual temptation or sexual sin, but he uses it differently here. He doesn't use it within the terms of a, a sexual word or whatever. He uses it as a word to describe coveting. When you begin to lust after or to long for with great desire to the point that, it, that you long or lust after more than me, that's, that's what coveting is. And, and, you know, for example, if you're driving down the road and you see somebody's house, you're like, man, that's such and such's house and they got a basement. It'd be nice if we could have a basement. That's not coveting. But if we stay there and we begin to dwell on that and that begins to consume us, it's on the road to that. Does that make sense? Coveting It's to this point where you begin to be obsessed with this person. We can covet a boyfriend or covet a girlfriend or covet a house or covet a motorcycle or covet someone else's. You know, you get on Facebook and you're like, man, I wish I could go on that vacation. I wish my husband would talk to me the way that that Sammy's husband talks to her. And it starts there. And we begin to obsess and focus on that to the point that now we can't even see objectively what God has given us or who God's given us because our eyes are coveting something else. Does that make sense? So here's what Jesus said to that. Here's another way to say it. Just be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Because at the root of greed is selfishness. At the root of greed is worshiping self rather than worshiping God. At the root of it, it's not being content with what we have. 
It's being unsatisfied with what we have. You guys remember the old movie Willy Wonka? The 70s version? I'm a Generation Xer, okay? You remember, I can't remember her name, Veruca Salt? I want a golden goose too, Mom. That's actually the name of this message, Golden Goose. Hey, Daddy, I want a golden goose. Here we go again. All right, sweetheart, all right. Daddy will get you a golden goose as soon as we get home. No, I want one of those. Wonka, how much do you want for the golden goose? They're not for sale. Name your price. She can't have one. Who says I can't? The man with a funny hat. I want one. I want a golden goose. That's us. We want something. And we're willing to do whatever it takes to make that happen. And God says, don't do that. Don't covet. So there's three things you need to know and three things you need to do. And then we'll get out of here this morning, okay? Three things you need to know about coveting. Some of them are basic, but they're good reminders. And some things we need to do, okay? Here's the first thing you need to know about coveting. Remember, lust after, desire after with intensity. Coveting, it doesn't produce Christ-like character. And if you're new this morning, the whole goal for any church that proclaims Jesus, the whole goal that we're coming together is for God to start a process in you that would end with you seeing life through his eyes, with his character, your spouse, your debt, your sin, people around you, love for enemies. I mean, all these different things. And coveting, it doesn't produce Christ-like character in you. And as a, result, as a result, God finds no value in it. Not only does he not find value in it, but he finds it a form of idolatry. That's the second thing you need to know. When we covet to the point of putting something or someone above God, that's, that's sin. And here's the, the last thing. It's the most important thing. I'm going to uh, camp next to you for a couple of minutes. Coveting steals a person's joy... And it leads to unhappiness. Counseling people and talking with people and just in general observing. There's a lot of unhappy people. Because in their minds they believe that as they look over the fence at someone else's house or someone else's spouse or someone else's stuff. And then they look at their situation They don't like their house. They don't like their spouse. They don't like their stuff. And they become unhappy. And God basically is saying, I am your happiness. I am your joy. And so what coveting does is it steals away our joy. Because we're constantly tally counting and comparing. And God says, I'm enough. I'm enough no matter how much you have or how much you don't have. And we all know that there's never enough. And can I tell you, no spouse or house or stuff is going to make you happy. If you're expecting your spouse to be your happiness, if you're expecting your house To be your happiness. If you're expecting more stuff to fill the void, it ain't going to happen. You and I, regardless of whether you're an atheist or a sold out believer, every one of us, whether you believe this or not, it's true. We're born with a God-shaped hole in our heart. 
that no amount of spouse, no amount of house, no amount of stuff can fill. The Chiefs winning or losing today is not going to make me stay happy. It might for a minute though, right Mike? And there's some of us in here today, not because I know anybody's story, but I just know people. And you are unhappy. And you are blaming your spouse. Or you are blaming the fact that you don't get to go on the vacations that somebody else gets to go on. Or you're blaming the poor decision that you didn't go to school or you accepted this job in Pittsburgh or on and on and on. There's not enough time in this message for me to describe every scenario that could be out there. And so because of your unhappiness, instead of coveting God and desiring God, you're coveting some other situation or person. And the Bible tells us that for a season, sin feels right. But it doesn't take very long. If you, if you ever struggle with alcohol or drugs or food, you know that you have to have more and more in order to, to quench that addiction. And you're always left wanting more. And God says, when you covet me, there's no... There's no end to the well of of strength and joy and peace I give you regardless of where your well's located. That's what we need to know. There's some things we need to do. We need to realize where our joy and strength really come from. Let's read that. Realize where your joy and strength really come from. Paul, who used to be Saul, in this scripture we're getting ready to read, he is basically saying, I've lived, I've seen it all. I've been broke as a joke. I've had fame and I've had money. And I've got a secret to tell you. That's what he's telling the the people of Philippi, specifically the church in Philippi. Here's what he tells them. And he would customize his letters based on what what was going on with the people. So obviously the people in Philippi were struggling with this. He says, I know how to live with almost what? Almost what? Or with? I have learned the secret of living in every situation. Whether I'm well fed with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. Nothing, starving, everything, the house, the spouse, the mouse. Can't think of anything else that rhymes. I can do everything from broke to rich, from healthy family to in pieces. Because my strength doesn't come from stuff. It comes from God. I can do everything. I can you put me in any situation. You throw me in the jungle, you throw me in the suburbs. I can do it all because Christ is in me. I covet God. I don't covet stuff. 
We take that scripture out of context, for I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Do you understand why Paul said that? I can do it all because I've been in every situation. You don't need more stuff. We don't need to wait on him or her to change. We need to let God change us. Because when he starts changing us, we're going to look at our spouse or our situation through his eyes. And instead of hating them, we start praying for them. Instead of blaming them, we start reading a scripture that says, Our struggle is not against your husband. Our struggle is not against your wife. Our struggle is not against the debt that you created. Our struggle is not against any of those things. Our struggle is with the enemy. And we start seeing it's not that person that I hate that's a problem. It's the enemy that's influencing them. And we start to realize, you know what? I need to pray that the enemy would loose his hold on them. I can do everything through Christ in me because I've seen it. I'm not making this up. Another thing we need to do is to keep our eyes fixed on the race God has for us to run. Noah a while back said, Dad, I wish I was... Noah's pretty fast but for a big kid, but he's not like lightning fast. He's like, Dad, I wish that I was fast. I wish I was lighter so I could run the ball. I said, Noah, that's not what God gave you, son. You're the biggest, strongest kid in your class. And you need to accept that that's how God's made you and use it for his glory by pummeling the kid in front of you. (laughs) Right, Rob? (laughs) But what happens when you start looking at somebody else's situation? You know, she's not, my wife doesn't, she's not as nice as that one. He's not as, he doesn't meet my, you know, she, he does the dishes for his wife. And you don't. Some of you, I'm going to show you an image. And I want you to, when you see the image, I want you to look at the, both people's eyes. Some of you know Michael Phelps. Remember that name, Michael Phelps? He won a lot of gold medals. And my understanding is, I'm not a swimmer. I know it's hard for you to believe, but I'm not a big swimmer. I am buoyant, though. Uh <laughs> Evidently, there's a sensor on the side of the wall at the pool. And so when you're swimming, your race is over when your fingertip touches that sensor. And they're able to tell who won. So Michael Phelps, in one of the races, is swimming against another guy. And he wins, but he wins by like this much. And the reason that he wins, I think, and the other guy loses, is where their eyes are. If you're on the sides and you can't see this, we'll just... Where's, where's Phelps' eyes? Where are they at? On the goal? On the prize? How much did he lose by? This man is coveting his position in the race. Instead of running the race that he's called to run. 
I wish I was skinnier. I wish I was taller. I wish I was bigger. I wish I was smaller. I wish my house. I wish my wife. I wish my husband. I wish my money. I wish my job. And we lose. When you covet, you lose. It's not a spiritual word. That's an everyday word, but it it still fits spiritually. You lose when you compare. And if you don't lose today, you'll lose at some point. So what do we need to do? Thank God daily for what he's provided you. It keeps you from coveting what God may have provided for someone else. Let's just say that that man doesn't stare at Phelps and he still loses. He can look back and say, I did everything I could do to win. I did everything I could do to keep my marriage together. I did everything I could do to be the best person that God's called me to be. I did everything I could do, if you're a student, to share Christ with that person. I did everything I could do to tell them about God. But when we get in this comparison game, we're left wanting more. Hey guys, I got you each a gift. No way, Jesus, why? Awesome. Well, I just love you guys, so I wanted to get you something. Oh, wow. So nice. Laura, you first. Wow, this is so exciting. Oh, will you look at this a little eight-ounce can of Coke? This is perfect for me. I looked everywhere to find a gift for you, and this just seemed to fit. I love it. Drew? Yeah, your turn. All right. <laughs> no way, Jesus. Seriously? Oh, yeah. 20 ounces of Coke? Yeah, baby. Woo! This is awesome. Oh, Jesus, thank you so much. You're welcome. Laura, we got to go show Richard our gifts. Come on. Okay. Hey, Laura, is there a problem? No. I mean, well, yeah, kind of, you know. It's just that every time you give people gifts, you always give everyone else more than you give me. What do you mean? I mean, like, I open my gift and, oh, cute, eight ounces, and then Drew opens his gift and, hello, 20 ounces. Oh, I know what you mean. Well, that gift is for Drew. Well, that's what I want. Uh, Go get it for me. Okay, if that's what you want. I got a liter. I know it's one liter of God's sweet goodness. Jesus gave it to me. He did? Yes. You know what? You're going to meet somebody with a bigger bottle, and you are going to be so mad. Laura, check it out. I got an upgrade. Coke 3.0. That is awesome. I know. Well, isn't that just great? Yeah. Hey, Jesus, you rock. Thanks, Drew. What is wrong with you? Why are you holding back your best from me? I gave you my best. Don't you see what's happening here? You're letting everyone else's gifts steal your joy. No, Jesus, you are stealing my joy by giving everyone else more than you give me. Laura, I picked this gift out for you. That's what I wanted you to see. I don't care. Until you can look past this, all you're going to see is a can of Coke. Pretty powerful, huh? Don't covet your neighbor's house, their spouse, and their stuff. When you look at what God's given you, are you thankful? 
Are you thankful? Or do you just focus on what you don't have that somebody else does? I don't think this is the biggest thing a pop you can get. I think there's like a three liter and I don't know if they have Coke kegs, but. (laughs) I said keg in church, Ken. (laughs) We can get to the point where All we're doing is just looking at, you know, we get this and then we think this is going to make us happy. And then somebody else has something more. This has been a difficult week. Um, not Not like compared to some, but the other day I was at home and I was taking the trash can out of our bathroom to empty it. And I must have hit the pipe and water started shooting up out of the ground. Aaron, you've heard this story at school. I know you have. The more intense version. Come up out of the ground, hit the ceiling, and it was on for 15 minutes. I didn't have a turnkey to turn it off. Noah goes, I don't know what to do. I said, I don't know either. (laughs) And so, anyway, long story short, our neighbor had a turnkey. We turned it off. John came over and helped me out. And... I was pretty mad at myself. I didn't even hit it that hard. And I was frustrated because it's just an inconvenience. And I was coveting everybody else's dry carpet. And our insurance agent showed up. And he starts listening to me. I wasn't I wasn't whining. I'm not a big whiner, but I was like, yeah, how much? And then, you know, towards the end, he said, well, he goes, you know, I feel bad for you, but it's hard because he said, I just came from uh, a couple whose house burned down. And they would covet your wet carpet. Well, that's not what I want to hear. But it helped me. Whether your house is burned down, whether you have wet carpet, whether you've got the greatest spouse or the worst spouse or the greatest life or the worst life, what if you just coveted God more than everyone else and everything else for the rest of your life? What if He is your joy? What if He was your peace? What if He was the one who gave you strength when you're waiting to hear if you have cancer again or not? I know the band's coming up, but hang with me here. What if the anxiety that Satan would want you to have in your normal, I mean, we all get there, but you've been with Jesus that morning and the morning before and the morning before that and the evening before that, and you've been walking with him and you've been practicing praising God for the breath in your lungs when everything's well. You just practice coveting God. You just practice it. And then all of a sudden, something like, Something big happens in your life that's not good. And you're trusting God to at least help you to breathe. We lose when we covet. There's always going to be somebody faster. There's always going to be somebody bigger. 
There's always going to be somebody who's got more skills than you. There's always going to be somebody who meets Mr. Right before you do. There's always going to be somebody who meets Mrs. Right before you do. There's always somebody else who's got a better dad than you do. There's always somebody who plays more games as a family around the table than your family does. There's always somebody out there who's got it better. And there's always somebody out there who has it worse. And that's why you need to go on mission trips. Because you see, you know, Carla. There's things you got to smell, you got to see, you got to experience. Imagine what it would look like if we would do this. I don't covet a better marriage, I covet God. I don't covet a husband or a wife or less stress or a better job, I just covet God. If you want to give me more, great, but if not, thank you God. I know what it is to have everything. And I know what it is to have nothing. The secret is not in the Coke. The secret's in the person who provides the Coke. That's good. Today, we get to remember that God has provided more than just Coke for us. He's provided a way for us to have relationship with Him. And to not just have relationship with Him, but to walk in His strength and His light and His character and let our light shine before men so that when we we let our light shine in the fact that the person sitting across from us at work is complaining about their Coke and maybe your Coke's smaller than theirs or the same size and you're just content because you remember what Jesus did for you and that's attractive to them. I got the same situation you do. Your spouse sucks and my spouse sucks and yet you're full of joy and I hate them. How's that happen? Because Jesus died so that I didn't have to be bitter. That's one of a million examples that God does for us. So today we remember what Christ did. Jesus was meeting with his disciples. And they had ate dinner together a lot. But this supper was different. And it, you know, they take the bread and they they drink the juice the same way we drink something and eat something. But this time there was a symbolic behind it and he said, "Guys, today when you when you eat this bread that that you're going to break apart just like you always do don't just eat it as you break it remember that in just a week or so my body's going to be broken for you people are going to spit on me and hit me and whip me and call me all kinds of names and god is going to turn his back on me which is why jesus said why have you forsaken me? There's a word in theology class called propitiation, which means God literally turned his back on his son and allowed, allowed him to suffer the punishment that I deserve and that we all deserve. That's why Isaiah says, by his stripes, we are healed. So we remember that today. And he told the disciples to remember that. His body was broken. You've heard this before, but we have to... I don't want to rush that. 
not only was his body broken, but he said, you know, as you guys drink today, the wine that you're drinking, you need to remember, it's not just wine today. It it represents something. It's my blood. Because in just a week, I'm going to bleed. I'm going to bleed so that when you see that somebody else has more than you, my blood's going to remind you that I'm enough. Somebody else's mom didn't get cancer. Mine did. Somebody else's spouse didn't die. Mine did. Somebody else isn't struggling with leukemia. My family is. I'm going to I'm going to die and my blood's going to shed so that you can breathe. So that you don't just fall apart and die inside and never get back up. So, take this bread. Take this cup and be thankful. I'm dying so that you can live. And we remember that this morning. In just a minute, as you let's go ahead and stand this morning. If you've not asked Jesus into your heart today, Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, you can be saved. If you'd like to ask Christ into your heart today, you can say it out loud. You can pray it. You can come and and invite him in through taking this communion and taking this cup. If you don't have a relationship with him, there's no reason you'd want to take communion. But if you'd like to have a relationship with him or you do have a relationship with him, come and remember what Christ has done for you. Be thankful. Got a station over here, one over here. If you're gluten-free, we have it right here. Let's worship Him today. like a hurricane I am a tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy when all of a sudden I am unaware these afflictions eclipse by glory and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are for me. And oh, how he loves us so. 
Lord, there's some of us that uh, we've never experienced someone to love us like that. We don't even know. We don't even know what that love looks like. No one's modeled that to us. While we were still sinners, you died for us. Very rarely will someone even die for a good man. But while we were still sinners, our ugliness you died for us Father forgive us for coveting Lord I repent of that I can't repent for other people but I can for myself and I repent today and I ask God that you would that I would realize that you're enough pray that for all of us today. May we just trade what we covet. May today we stop coveting a house or a spouse or stuff and covet you with all our heart. May we stop looking over the lane at someone else's race. Stop looking at the color of the grass on the other side of the fence. And may we, through your power, make our side of the fence what you want it to be. And may that give us joy. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Have a blessed Sunday.